Under the radar means hearing about things you didn't know you needed to know until you hear them. It's a serious look. Hear about the issues that don't get the attention they deserve. Under the radar doesn't get caught up in the day-to-day. Surfacing issues that are not talked about in mainstream media. I think it's something that connects us to each other. Under the radar is all about discovery. I can be guaranteed voices I haven't heard before. But also the questions. Under the radar is one step ahead. I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, tomorrow is the 37th anniversary of Martin Luther King Jr. Day, a federal holiday to acknowledge the legacy of the civil rights leader, one of the visionaries of the 20th century. The Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. was a key leader in the transformative social justice movement, which challenged a racially segregated America, pushing the country towards a more just future. I have a dream. My four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. Understanding the complex history of race and racism in the U.S. and King's role in the civil rights movement is critical. How best, though, to teach this complex history to young kids? Two experts who specialize in breaking down difficult concepts for children discuss why it is such crucial work. Later in the show, a new PBS documentary on writer Zora Neale Hurston of the Harlem Renaissance features her lesser-known work as an anthropologist. She was really someone who thought as a child that folklore, the stuff that she heard on the porch of the general store in her town, was fascinating to her. We speak with the film's director about how Hurston became known as the foremost authority on black folklore. But first, joining me, Carol Boston Weatherford, award-winning children's book author and English professor at Fayetteville State University. Hi, Carol. Hi there. Also with me, Tanya Nixon-Silberg, director and founder of Little Uprisings, an organization in Boston that teaches children and adults about racial justice. Hello, Tanya. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Well, I'm so happy to have both of you. So let me start this way, um, just explaining giving people a sense of the context of this conversation that we thought was so vitally important. So, Carol, how does your work lift up the history and legacy of MLK? Well, my mission as an author is to mine the past for family stories, fading traditions, and forgotten struggles that center Black resistance, resilience, remarkability, and remembrance. And so, of course, Dr. Martin Luther King is is part of that, that heritage that I hope to uh, uplift and expose children to. Well, you're the author of 65 children's books. One of them won the Coretta Scott King Award um, called Unspeakable, the Tulsa Race Massacre. These are tough subjects, as we've said. Of course, your book, Be a King, Martin Luther King's Dream and You, is one of your latest. And you use his life, but you extract from the kids or you push the kids to extract from their own lives really what is fundamental to the conversation about his work, which is social justice. Talk about that. Yes, I do. Um, When I wrote that book, there were already many biographies of Dr. King and an editor had challenged me to write uh, a biography that was somewhat different. And so I call it an unbiography because although it, uh, 
in an impressionistic sort of way, it suggests different vignettes and different, uh, and, and suggests his values. It's not really, you know, he was born in Atlanta and then and then and then. No, it just lifts up his, his life as an example of service that young people can follow. And so the text really reads more like a litany that someone might experience in church. And it's written in call and response. So the uh, response is always, you can be a king. And then the, the call is the, uh, the call to action, the call to stop bullying, the call to be your best self, the call to, be, and of course, to be of service to others. Tanya Nixon-Silberg, you're the director and founder of Little Uprisings, as we've said, which uses a multifaceted creative approach um, in order to uh, teach folks how to um, recognize and activate, really, in their lives, uh, social justice or the mission toward making social justice a reality. So by that, I mean multifaceted. You use art, you use body movement, you also use books, you use puppetry, play, and performance. Um, tell me how your work then lifts up the history and legacy of MLK. So when I do talk about MLK or think about the civil rights movement, um, I, I always make a connection between what happened then and what the fight still looks like now and, and what has sustained us during this time. And so joy, um, joy in on our sites on liberation is the, is the way in which we, I, I, Formate, for, formulate my workshops with young young students, young students and their, actually, I call them their caregiving allies as well. <laughs> the adults, you the mean. Adult, <laughs> yeah, the adults. Right. I will tell you, the adults are harder <laughs> than the kids. Like We are hardwired to be like, this is the way it was. This is the way it's how it's supposed to be. We have very uh, rigid ways of thinking of what change looks like when um we actually look to kids. They have such a bigger imagination for what the world, what the world that they'd like to see. That if we actually give them the bullhorn, um, I think that we'd be in a lot better place. You know what I think a lot of people will hear in both of your work is, "Wow, th- these are this is a layered subject matter. This is, you know, part of of Dr. King's legacy." very much involves uh, a, a rich history of a movement of resistance, as, as uh, Professor Weatherford has said. And, and so, you know, to your point, Tanya, some adults struggle around understanding um, what the history means. How are you able to, what do you go right at in, in, in addressing these issues, bringing them up, teaching kids, um, that they can relate to you as you talk about these issues? Yeah, so I mean, it 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 might be the, sort of the same answer um, uh, for Carol. Um, Carol, I'm a very big fan of your work. I just need to say that my oh, work really you. does start in children's books, um, because I think that actually, you know, a read aloud and or a lapsit uh, is a very sacred thing that uh, a, an adult can do with a young child. Um, and so it's in those realms of stories and storytelling that we can actually formulate what the world should look like. Um, and so my work goes through storytelling, right? And a lot of the times, like kids do this really naturally is to jump into this book, jump into the story and figure out how they would be in the story. Um, and so I use that. I use play. I use their imagination. I use um, 
body movements, right? So we we can talk and talk and talk about what liberation looks like, but if we don't know what it feels like in our bodies, then it's not going to happen. And so, you know, I do body movements and we do, you know, imaginative play and theater and puppetry. Puppetry has been one of my really good sort of powerful ways in, in bringing this in. If you can bring an inanimate object to life, you can bring a movement to life as well. All right. I'm going to come back to that in just a second, but um, Carol, I want to come back to you and have you read a few pages from Be a King, Martin Luther King's Dream and You. Um, and before you read, pick up on what Tanya uh, has said about how you approach children in discussing the richness, the layeredness of, of this subject matter. I believe that children demand and deserve the truth. I don't think they are too tender for tough topics. And so I approached my subject matter in a kid-friendly way and in an age-appropriate way for children, but I never talk down to children because I trust that children will get it. Children have a very absolute sense of justice and of morality. Things are either bad or good. They're not, you know, that kids don't dwell in gray areas like we caretakers do. Um, another thing, another responsibility, though, that I feel uh, in writing about the, the subject matter that I, that I choose is knowing that many adults weren't taught these things in schools because our curriculum has not been inclusive. So it, it really was a revelation to me that many adults don't, you know, haven't heard about some of the, the subjects or some of the, the people that I write about, like Fannie Lou Hamer, the voting rights activist, or like the, uh, the Tulsa race massacre, which was the worst incident of racial violence in U.S. history, but was not even taught in Oklahoma schools until almost the year 2000. So, you know, I'm not only t introducing these subjects to children, but my books are doing double duty and all, almost serving as cheat sheets for adults who didn't learn about the subjects themselves. Mm -hmm. And picking up on, again, Tanya's uh, mentioning that children just normally put themselves into the story, that's what you've done with Be a King, Martin Luther King's Dream in You, because as you describe it, it's a braided story. Explain what that means. A braided story is two stories in one. And one of the most famous braided stories is the book Holes. If any, I don't know if any of your listeners read the book Holes, or saw the movie Holes, but there's a, there are two stories going on at one time, and sometimes the stories are in different time periods. So what Be a King does is take vignettes from King's life and interweaves those with illustrations that depict children embarking on a service project in their school. And the service project is to create a mural in honor of Dr. King. And so it shows children carrying out these um, uh, you know, steps of service um, or acts of service that Dr. King espoused. All right. Well, let's give our listeners a few pages of Be a King, Martin Luther King's Dream, and You. You can be a king. Marvel at creation. Keep the faith of your ancestors. You can be a king. Know that bigotry hurts. Remember how you felt when treated unfairly. You can be a king. Admit that you've done wrong. Just say, I'm sorry and mean it. You can be a king. Know that dividing walls should come down. You have glimpsed the other side. 
You can be a king. Break the chains of ignorance. Learn as much as you can. You can be a king. Stand for peace. Band together against bullies. Well, that's, you know, it 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 helps people, I think, to see how you frame the story that allows them to be a part of the story, but also gets across um, some of the concepts that at the outset may seem to be difficult for children to grasp. But as I understand it, people get it right away from your books, uh, Carol. They do. In fact, my books uh, provoke questions. And like um, the work of, of Tanya, it's my books are, are interactive. So, um, you know, often my books uh, can be read as a, as a call and response or as choral reading. In fact, students have even staged this book. Um, and or they can be uh, They sample uh, protest songs or spirituals that can be, uh, you know, interwoven into the into the song into the into the narrative. Uh, so I try to make my books as interactive as possible, and I I want my books to provoke discussion. And as as Tanya said, children's books are a great jumping off point for children to engage adults in in conversation about these uh, these topics. And of course, as I said, they provoke questions. And one of the, uh, one of the questions that my books uh, about the civil rights movement or about segregation specifically uh, tend to provoke is who made that, st- that stupid rule? Mm. You know, kid, like I said, t- kids totally get it. Um, or why did white people treat black people so unfairly? The questions are not, they're, they're tough questions, and they're questions that some adults would prefer not to have to answer. And therein lies the, you know, the pushback uh, among in conservative circles uh, against books that, that tell the truth or that tell a more complete history. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and here with me are Carol Boston Weatherford, award-winning children's book author and English professor at Fayetteville State University, and Tanya Nixon-Silberg, director and founder of Little Uprisings, a Boston organization that teaches children and adults about racial justice. We're discussing the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. and how to discuss racial and social justice to children. Now, one of the themes that you've both mentioned and that come up in other places that now that I'm aware of it, having prepared for this conversation, uh, is the issue of fairness, that that's a way that kids can understand. I wanted to play this clip from Elmo from Sesame Street. And again, they were teaching lessons of MLK. And this is Elmo in a video in 2022 with his friend Alan talking about MLK. Today. Oh, you did? Yeah. Like what? Oh, well, Elmo learned that Dr. King stood up against racism, mm-hmm. and he wanted everybody to be kind and fair to each other. So I think it's interesting that um, that's a concept, as both of you have mentioned, that kids can get. Now, Tanya, I have some sound of how you use that, that fairness, um, to make a point with kids that you work with. So this is a play that you were 
um, directing and acting in with a kindergarten class. And you use an elephant puppet called Trevor to teach the kids about injustice and how to make things right. And so we're going to listen to a clip where the kids are really excited because they were finally able to get Trevor his backpack of joy and you're playing a roving reporter. Here it is. It has been around for a long time. Open it and see. Open it. <coughs> okay, I will open it. The it's first a, time on Clayton Hill News, Tanya Mrs. Silver is finally. It's used to My hands are shaking. I'm so excited. What? 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 Okay, once the kids calm down, Trevor the elephant tells the kids that they what they have achieved was justice, and he is overcome with joy because the kids stood up for him to make things right for him and all the other elephants. And we have the person that came out and started this whole thing, the catalyst, the person that said no the first time. Trevor, what do you think? I'm just, I'm just overcome here with all of these people out protesting to make the rules change so that I can have my backpack joy. They knew it was unfair and they figured it out and now I get to have the best day ever with my backpack of joy with all of my new friends. And friends, you didn't just help me, Trevor, the elephant, you helped all of the elephants. So uh, give your backpack of joy a little pat, like a pat on the back. So Tanya, fairness, that cuts through to kids. They get that. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, this is something that I've been thinking a lot about as far as my work goes, is that, you know, when I think about um, marginalization, right, I usually think about it in, in, in roles of like race, class, and things of that sort, but we don't think about it in age. Um, and so kids, particularly Black and Brown kids, are the most marginalized beings on this planet. Um, and so what, and so being the most marginalized, they have a sort of a bird's eye and sort of groundwork view of what injustice is and feels like, right? Kids very young say that's not fair, right? And so we'll what what happens is we um, I talk to them a lot about like what what's fair and what's unfair, right? And so we'll talk about things that are a little bit like surface level, right? It was unfair that my sister got this cake and I didn't, right? And then I expand upon that what you know there did you know that there are you know th that there were rules in place that were unfair that made it so that and no one could get cake right and then we jump off into history what carol talked about as far as like kids not getting the whole story is really important and if they know the whole story of injustice and they can handle it absolutely they actually crave it they crave the truth because kids are lied to a lot as well and they know it um, they, they, when they get that truth, their, their, their reaction is not of, oh my gosh, there's, this is so awful. I don't know what I'm going to do. Their, their body reaction and how they respond to this is always in the sort of, uh, the path of liberation, the path of action, the path of what could I do? So you two have a, a kind of a, a double job because, even as both of you have explained that you take the essence of the MLK story and then go off in different directions. What is also true is that this history for a, both adults and kids has, you know, faded from, from psychic uh, 
emotional memory. And how do you get around that, Carol, in, in, in paying attention to the fact these are young kids and you want to make sure that they understand what the concepts mean, as you're doing in your book, Be a King. But at the same time, you know, this it, you can't sanitize what the truth is. That's very true. Um, and and you when you look at people who are trying to sanitize the truth or ban ban certain books or books about certain topics, you have to ask, why is it they don't want us to know that? Or why is it they don't want kids to know that? Well, they don't want us to raise kids who are anti-racist. They don't want us to raise kids who uh, are activists. Uh, you know, they would they want to retain retain power uh, in a limited amount of hands, uh, you know, cisgendered white male, male hands. Uh, but when it comes to uh, stories about the civil rights movement and, uh, you know, of course, King is, uh, is central to that story. But I think it's also important to get into, to branch out and show some of the unsung heroes and some of the um, protests that ne didn't necessarily involve King. So, for instance, I have a book about a book called um, Freedom on the Menu, the Greensboro sit-ins, which shows how students at North Carolina A&T State University actually started the mass movement phase of the civil rights movement and, 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 and really explains why kids, shows why young people were, were central to the or vital to, to the movement because they had less to lose than adults who whose mortgages might have been called due, who might have gotten evicted from apartments or uh, fired from jobs. There might have been retaliation against adults. I mean, there was retaliation, but the but young people, of course, had less to lose. Uh, people like Mary Hamilton. Uh, my book, Call Me Miss Hamilton, talk, shows how Mary Hamilton had to sue all the way to, to the Supreme Court just to be addressed as Miss rather than by her first name in a court of law. And she was she was known as Red. She was called Red by Martin Luther King because she had such a fiery fiery temper. And she was um, a, a regional director of Corps, the uh, first woman to be a regional director of Corps. So there, you know, there are many stories like Bayard Rustin, who actually uh, was a, a black gay man who organized the March on Washington. He was behind the scenes because he was an an out gay man at that time. Even you know, even within the civil rights movement. That was still taboo, but he he really was the the force behind the march on Washington. So, Carol, do you find that kids are frightened by this? I mean, I think that's what the worry is by some is that they think that kids are frightened by no. This information. I think kids are frightened by some events that might be still happening today. And I and like Tanya said, it's important to connect the dots between the history and and current current events um, and persistent systemic racism. So I don't think, you know, I don't think they're scared by events of the past. I think that events of the present might scare them more. Mm -hmm. And they're, you know, they're privy to that through, you know, social media, uh, mainstream media, you know, traditional media, and they, and they're living it. And so Tanya, so does it, how does it help, I guess, is the question for them to understand this kind of history to put what's happening today in their own context. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that when you know the history and how it was fought, then you can actually apply that to what's going on today. 
So I have a, um, a sort of a, 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 a framework that I use when I talk about justice with kids. Um, it's called the anatomy of a protest. Um, mm -hmm. So you start with an injustice. There is something that's unfair. And then there's a catalyst. There's a person or a group of people that say, wait, this is unfair. What are we supposed to do? Then there is pushback. There are the people, powers that be that want that rule to, to be the same. Then there's mobilization. People get together. Then there is a big protest, one sort of demonstration. There's a lot of them, right? But there's one demonstration that you can look to. And then there's change. That change part is the part that we keep not telling. <laughs> mm. We keep not telling the change part. And it's a part of a, and this, this framework could be put onto a lot of social movements. And when kids can identify where we are in this movement, and then, then they have a blueprint for what we, what we can do. Um, and so even, you know, thinking about like, uh, Carol, I just learned two books that I need to go get <laughs> from what you just said and map on anatomy of a protest to that, right? Because we, that's the, that's the thing that we need. And so go back to your question about what we actually, you know, making kids scared. It's really inoculating kids against um, sort of the, 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 the memory erasing of, <laughs> of our movements. And it's inoculating kids um, to fight for what's going on right now, right? Because if I can know that um, there was a gay Black man that was behind King doing all of this work, as a kid that's questioning my identity or thinking about how I show up in the world, I can look to that person and be like, oh, they did it. There are some ways in which I can do it too. Um, when we start to erase history, then, then we don't have any tools to, to, to bring into what's going on right now. So how do you all respond um, to a very vigorous banned book movement going on and certain places in the country that have actually, state legislatures have enacted laws to prevent even the basic teaching of, of historic events that happen to be, have some tough history uh, connected to it? How, how, how do you respond to that and how... And particularly as people who are trying to put forth uh, information that, for kids to understand. Well, there are several several movements um, uh, afoot to um, fight fight back against the banned book movement. Uh, one is hashtag Freedom F R E A D O M. Um, I don't necessarily know the names of all of the all of the uh, or the hashtags of all of the of the movements, but the American Library Association is one of the organizations that's uh, pushing back. Uh, disrupt text is another is another hashtag. One thing we have to do, I think everyone agrees, is we have to vote in local elections so that the people who are getting elected to school boards and state legislatures are not of the of the ilk to uh, advocate book bans uh, that mar that continue to marginalize people of color. And LGBT and the LGBTQ plus community. Um, another thing we should do is we need to buy some of the books, <laughs> buy the books that are, are being banned. We need to um, have community reading programs that lift up these, that expose kids to these books. Because if they can't get the books in schools, then it's on it's on the community, it's on the home to expose kids to these books and and the subject matter. 
And one thing I tell teachers, uh, you know, teachers, of course, are being threatened uh, with uh, with firings and uh, lawsuits by by uh, the folks who are advocating these bans. What teachers have to do is empower themselves by by reading the books, because in the absence of, of, of having the books in the classroom, teachers must be the book and 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 look for the moment when we can share that information. There will be you know, a question will arise, you know, uh, in history class or social studies class that, you know, where this information is the appropriate response. How do you respond to the efforts to actually silence um, some of this work, Tanya? Mm. You know, it's tough. So I'm in Boston, right? Uh, we don't have an elected school board, right? So everyone's appointed. Um, <laughs> And the, the idea around like, you know, the, a lot of school districts have asked after 2020, like realized that racism existed, right? And they came out with these huge like equity sort of standpoints, right? Um, they were looking at the science of reading and the fact that we have failed generations of young kids learning how to read. And so they have this idea around equitable literacy. And so what that does is that it opens up the, the, the gates to uh, if we're thinking about equitable literacy, why not the literature be equitable as well and represent all of the kids that are inside of there? So I'm not having that sort of crunch uh, that the rest of the country is is having as far as my work goes. I've decided to stay local. I've been doing this work for uh, longer than um, you know than I started Little Uprisings, uh, realizing that in the suburbs of of Massachusetts there is um, there is that push, right? And so then I think, okay, so if we are, um, I work with individual, I work with school systems, I work with schools, and then I work with individual teachers and grades. And I always talk about our own loci of power, right? Because that's that's how this work gets done. Martin Luther King didn't do this on his own. He had a network of people that are unsung in this work. And it's the same for education and right now, right? So it's not just that, this, this is not gonna be taught inside the classroom. It's also like, oh, parents, I have parents that are getting together and like, we're going to read these books to our kids now. Can you teach us and thinking about what, what what are the questions that we can ask and things of that sort. So the the this crunch is actually is happening, but there also are the people. And I feel like the people are a lot more than this crunch. <laughs> like we are more than the the folks that are like oh what about the kids they can't understand this stuff i think i i've been witnessing a lot more parents um teachers school districts that are like no 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 this is a part of our north star and we're staying on this path um and for folks that are experiencing that i do think that it what carol talked about is like you read the book so that you have the knowledge uh, there are ways in which there are really wonderful, beautiful, um, innovative ways by which you can insert insert history, real history, uh, into the curriculum. Do you too? Final question: See your work as uh, continuing the legacy of Martin Luther King writ large, Carol? Oh, most definitely. Um, and and I I I I think the the kinds of uh, responses that I get from kids and the most actually the most rewarding part of being an author for me is knowing that children who whom I will never meet whose schools I will never visit I do I do visit some schools 
are reading my books and learning about these subjects and asking questions and becoming activists in their own right. Tanya? Yes, I do think so. I also think that it's a continuation of Fannie Lou Hamer and a continuation of Bay Rustin and a continuation of, you know, the Black Panthers, right? And so like, um, I want to, um, one of the things that I'd like to, to, to do in thinking about Martin Luther King is really not reduce him to a man, but get rid of that stigma of we need one person, we need one hero to save us all. Amen. And that we are in this together to do this. And so when, you know, Carol, when you read your story about be a king, I kept thinking like, what does that look like to be a king uh, in our own loci of power? And so like when I think about my work in continuing, it's, it, is, it is a long lineage of folks that come before me um, that are always on that path towards liberation for everyone. All right, well, that's a great place to stop. And I thank you both for joining me. Thank Thank you so much, Callie. Carol Boston Weatherford is an award-winning children's book author and English professor at Fayetteville State University. And Tanya Nixon-Silberg is the director and founder of Little Uprisings, an organization in Boston that teaches children and adults about racial justice. Coming up, a new documentary takes a look at how Harlem Renaissance writer Zora Neale Hurston was more than just a literary giant. Indeed, her research and writing as an anthropologist helped establish the dialects and folklore of African-American, Caribbean, and African people throughout the American diaspora. That's next. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. Callie Crossley.